0: Visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. There was nothing neutral about Jesus. Thank you, Elijah. There was nothing about him that was easy, there was nothing about him that was fluffy, there is no Christianity light. What Jesus spoke, he meant. And he did not say easy things. C.S. Lewis actually says about Jesus that we cannot take him to be just a good teacher. We cannot take him as someone who just talks about love. Because if you actually read what Jesus said, you have to take him as one of two things. Either he was, according to C.S. Lewis, a total lunatic Or he actually was who he claimed to be. Open up these Gospels and read them for yourself. Yes, he does encourage us to love one another, but he also says a lot of hard things, and he brings us to a lot of hard choices that we cannot stay neutral about. And tonight, we are going to dig into some of the hard things that he said, and it's not going to be easy. It will challenge all of us. It has kicked my butt over the past three days to try to to take this on and say, Lord, where am I at with this? And I really don't want to share anything from, from a pulpit, from a stage that God hasn't already wrestled in me. Like I don't want to be a leader that's trying to go somewhere. or I don't want to try to lead you somewhere that I haven't been because that's not leadership. There is a runner named Eric Liddell or Eric Little. I've told this story several conferences ago. And it's such a, a beautiful story that it just it, it moves my heart, and I want to, I'd like to share it with you again. And before I even kick off, I'd like to say that you are important. God has brought you here on purpose because he has a plan for your life. There are people around you both today and tomorrow that only you can reach and minister to. God has called you to a ministry. He has called you to evangelism. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's in the oil field. Maybe that's in law. Maybe that's in a million different places. But God is talking to you. He is calling you. Eric Liddell responded to that call. He was a runner in the 1924 Olympics, and he was also a sold-out Jesus follower. He was known for running wildly, wildly. Coming down the track, he would throw himself down the track. He was a sprinter, and he would run so hard he would collapse at the other end. And his love for the Lord extended into his running, where in the last steps of his run, he would throw his head back and worship. But what he was known for most was in the 1924 Olympics, as he approached the weeks of being there, he learned that his big race was going to be on a Sunday. And Eric Liddell refused to run the race that he crossed the world and trained his life for. He told people that he wanted to honor God and God told him to rest on the Sabbath. And he held to it. And he was brutally criticized for it. Ridiculed for staying out of the very race that he came to do. And yet he was given an opportunity to run in not the 100-meter, but the 400-meter. And as a sprinter, it was way outside of his comfort zone. And so he chose to honor God and run in this 400-meter race. And beforehand, another runner came and gave him a piece of paper, and he looked at it, and it was First was, uh, Samuel 2.30, and it said, He who honors me, I will honor. Liddell had chosen to honor God by forfeiting his race. And he ran the 400 meter and he won. Not only did he win, but he set a record for the 400 meter that would not be broken for 12 more years. And when he was asked about his passion for running and his throwing his head back in worship, his response was, I feel his pleasure when I run. That is being a minister. That is choosing god over self that is running a race with endurance we're going to jump into some very difficult verses like i've already mentioned and i want to give you some context peter has just made this incredible declaration of who jesus is jesus says but who do you say i am and peter says you are the lord the son of the living god you're the messiah you're the one to come And this was such a powerful statement. This was such a a click for the disciples that Jesus changed his entire ministry. At that point, Jesus ended his public ministry, preaching in cities, and he turned and began heading towards Jerusalem where he would be crucified on the cross. This was an incredible turning point. And it was right at this point, immediately after this conversation, where Peter has this great, incredible thing to say that we pick up. Matthew 17, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must pay attention, go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He goes from declaring who Jesus is to being called Satan by Jesus. Wait, what a what a turn of events that is! That descended quickly. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples. So he has this confrontation with Peter, and then he's like, it's almost like he puts his arm around Peter and turns to the rest of them, right? And he declares a lot to everybody, and he says. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what would they give in return for their soul? You have to understand Peter's perspective. Peter, like all good Jews, was waiting for this Messiah to come. They were, they were taught since they were children that someday this, this great leader, probably as a military general king, just like David, just like Judas Maccabeus, great story, go check that guy out, that he was going to come. He was going to bring Israel to this place as a superpower in all the earth. They were going to destroy all of their enemies, and then this Messiah would reign as king forever this is what they were waiting for. And you know what? Right now, Israel was under the thumb of Rome and the big enemy that they wanted kicked out was the Roman Empire. Now, if Jesus is that Messiah, Peter happens to be kind of like the chief disciple. And he's kind of got like this little bit of an idea that maybe he'll share in some of the glory, position, splendor that Jesus earns in this big dominion that he's going to take. Remember the The other disciples, James and John, hey, we want positions of power in your kingdom when it comes, right? They're not talking about a heavenly kingdom. They're talking about Jesus taking over stuff. One of Jesus' disciples was called Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a rebel cause against the Roman Empire. Why is he following Jesus? Because he thinks Jesus is that guy. Remember why they crucified Jesus. They convinced Rome to crucify him because they called him a rebel against Rome. So Peter couldn't fathom the idea that this Jesus, this conquering hero would submit himself to abuse and to death. Just let that happen. Not only was Peter considering his losing glory, but he's also hearing Jesus saying that he's, he's losing his close friend, Jesus, who he's been following for three years, living and and learning from. So Peter makes this big statement. It's not going to happen. Far be it from you. He rebukes Jesus. Don't do that. And Jesus shuts him down harshly. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Check this out. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. Jesus exposes a critical decision that we all have to come to. Will we place our minds on the things of God? Will we place our minds on our life, on what we want, and what's important to us on things of man? It's just like so many other principles that Jesus teaches. He, Jesus takes a principle that's like really hard, and then he makes it impossibly harder. You know, like Jesus says, Hey, you know how you're not supposed to you know commit adultery? Well, even if you think about lusting, then you've committed the sin of adultery. Have you ever you've heard that you're not supposed to murder anybody, but if you if you hate somebody, God counts it as murdering them. So he takes something that's hard already, and then he makes it impossibly hard. Jesus says, not only Will you have to accept the fact that I'm going to suffer and die? Peter, I'm calling you to pick up your cross and follow me. I'm calling you to suffer. I'm calling you to deny yourself, to sacrifice your world and give your life for me. You have to understand, they are in a time period before Jesus' resurrection. They have nowhere in their minds that they can park the idea of the cross being anything but awful. They don't have Jesus' love poured out. They don't have Jesus sacrificing himself for us. They don't have the idea of the resurrection. That this that the symbol of the cross was something beautiful and glorifying. No, no, to them, the Roman cross is awful. It is a it is a sentence of death. And it was to the Jews and anyone who was on Rome's bad side, it was a symbol which evoked shuddering fear. The idea in the Roman mind was, let's make our punishments so severe, so publicly humiliating that nobody else will want to commit those same crimes. No one else will want to rebel against us. So they made crucifixion as awful as they could and as public so everyone could see them as possible. It was a tool meant to torture, to publicly humiliate, and to cruelly extend someone's death. It was so shameful that Roman citizens weren't crucified. Crucifixion was set aside for slaves, for rebels, and for criminals of the most heinous crimes. The victim would be stripped naked and often scourged with a whip with leather straps, but not to the point that they might die too quickly. The Roman executioners experimented with nailing people to crosses in different ways and different forms, gruesome forms. The victim would most likely be nailed to the, the crossbeam, which was separate from the, the vertical beam, through the wrist between the two bones so that they could hang from the weight. Then they would nail them to the crossbeam and they would have them march through the city in front of all the crowds so that everyone would see their humiliation and their pain. And the agony of the weight of the nails was on a beam that was up to 100 pounds. And they would put a herald in front of them, somebody who was reading the declaration of their, their crime and their punishment, who would go in front of them and shout to the crowds what this person has done. It was meant for public humiliation. So they would walk through shouting, "Murderer! This guy murdered! Two families!" etc., etc, etc. He's been sentenced to punishment through crucifixion because he's a murderer." And they would lead him outside the city gates for their execution. And there, they would lift up that crossbeam with their body hanging on it and set them on the vertical post, where they would take their feet. And a lot of pictures have, have the feet crossed, right, with a nail going through the top. They've recently dug up a body, crucified about the same time as Jesus. In another form of crucifixion, they would put their ankles on both sides of the wood and put a nail through each heel into the wood on both sides. And what was what was even further excruciating is because their arms were stretched out, it would constrict their breathing so that the only way they could take a breath was to push their body weight against the nail in their feet, up against dragging their bloody back against the wood so they can get a breath of air and then slouch back down again on the weight of their hands. And they would do this over and over again for every breath, hour after hour, and depending on the weather, depending on the health of the person, this could go on for days. Hung on a cross, and that execution notice of what that herald was yelling would be nailed above their head, so everybody passing by would look at what the Romans had done and say, that'll never be me. I'm not rebelling against Rome. I'm not committing those crimes. I don't want to be that guy. And if the Roman soldiers got tired of their living, they would take an iron mallet, and they would crush the legs of the person crucified so they can no longer push against their legs and they would asphyxiate right there on the cross. Historians from those times have written down that the pain of the person on the cross would actually increase hour by hour the longer they were there. Doctors have determined that this would be true because their bodies, the longer they hung there, would be plagued by increasingly rigid cramps and, and muscle spasms as they hung there on the cross. And further, their corpses were often left on display, exposed to the elements and wild animals, so that other people would see them. Jesus tells his disciples, unless you are willing to pick up your crossbeam and walk through the city streets behind me, you're not worthy to be my followers. That is, that is the image that they have. To follow him in suffering, in humiliation, in agony. A lot of people say, take this verse about following Jesus, and they'll say something about their life that's difficult. Oh, well, you know, I have this sickness, but well, that's just my cross to bear. I've got this sin that I can't break off. That's my cross to bear. My my kid is, is rebellious. That's my cross to bear. No, this has nothing to do about your life circumstances. When Jesus says to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him, Jesus is challenging us as followers of him, that we will make an intentional decision for self-sacrifice. Your cross to bear is every day saying, I deny my wants for the wants of Jesus Christ. I deny my sin for Jesus Christ. I deny my reputation for Jesus Christ. It is an intentional decision that you make. But is it worth it? Is it worth denying ourselves to follow him? verse 25 says for whoever would save his life whoever is pursuing it's like that best life now kind of thinking i got to live my best life now i got to have, have as much joy and pleasure and things and everything again yolo i have to get it all out of now because i'm going to die someday right it's like this best life kind of thinking whoever would save his life now who pursue their best life now will lose it But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but they forfeit their soul? Or what will they give in return for their soul? Jesus is challenging his hearers to consider what life actually is. Is life only the physical, the 90 to 100 years that you're going to be here? Or is life also spiritual? And if so, if life is both physical and spiritual, how much emphasis should we put on the spiritual? It seems that Jesus is way more concerned with the spiritual. He's teaching that losing our lives entirely is a fair price to purchase the eternal. And he brings us to this life-altering decision. Will we fight to save our lives? Will we fight for our own dreams, our own goals, our own pleasures? Because if we do, we're going to lose the very things we're grappling to try to hold on to. But if we're willing to put the kingdom ahead of us. If we're willing to put Jesus ahead, if we're willing to follow him, we will gain what it is we've wanted all along, except so much more, eternal life. It's going to take a value shift. We're going to have to begin to see the treasure of our culture as it really is. The treasure of society as it really is. And I'm telling you, it's shallow. It's empty. It's vain. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, says Solomon in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing that's pursued out there. There's, there's no music video. There's no celebrity. There's no one that has everything who is not grappling to fight for something that is empty and temporary and lifeless. It may have been fun for a moment, but I'm telling you, there are as many celebrities and wealthy, living the highlight people committing suicide as there are middle class, low class people because they get to the top and they realize there's nothing there. Jesus says in Matthew 9, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't want my heart stuck on earth. I want my heart in heaven. I want to put everything I've got there. Our minds will be on God or man. Our minds will be on heaven or earth. That's where our hearts will belong. And here's three things that, here's three ways that we deny ourselves to follow Jesus. None of these are easy. Number one, we represent Jesus publicly, enduring whatever persecution comes with it. We proclaim Jesus. We are not ashamed of the gospel, we're not ashamed to be called his followers. Matthew ten thirty two says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. It's like this idea of a courtroom scene and God is judge and we stand there and God says, are they worthy to be here? And Jesus says, absolutely, absolutely. This is my kid right here. My blood covers him. My sacrifice is for him. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father who is in heaven. Depart, I never knew you. And we will experience resistance. If we are willing to say, I love Jesus, and that's, that's my life. That's who I serve. If we're willing to say, I'm sorry, I don't participate in some of those things because that's not who I am. We will experience resistance. Second Timothy 3, Paul tells us <laughs> we will all experience persecution if we want to live a godly life. This is Jesus speaking in John fifteen eighteen through 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. The servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The second way that we deny ourselves to follow Jesus is is that we reject fleshly desires for sin. That every day we chase righteousness and we run from what is evil. Over and over and over again in the Psalms, we are taught that we are to hate evil. Not like we tolerate it a little bit. Not like we gave it up, but we call it late at night and hang up fast. Not that we Facebook stalk or Instagram stalk evil. No, no, no. We run for what is evil. We abhor what is evil and we sprint towards what is righteous, what is holy, what is true. Galatians five sixteen through 17 is such a great passage. It's so beautiful. Paul writes, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're warring for these are opposed to each other. And then Paul gives a list of the sins that we crave and he gives a list of the character traits that we take on when we walk in the Holy Spirit. And he concludes with this in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, there's that word again, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We represent Jesus publicly. We reject our fleshly desires for sin. And the third one is, here's the hard one. We abdicate our life's priorities and purposes. We actually say, Lord, my life belongs to you. You get to choose what I want, what I pursue, who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do with my life, who I'm going to marry, what my career is going to be, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to say. You get that choice now. I have given my life to you. It's a priority shift. Matthew 6 Jesus is speaking and says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? We're not living our life for, for our stuff anymore. For the Gentiles seek after this, the unbelievers seek after this, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all that stuff. But no punch is pulled. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that stuff's going to be added to you. God will take care of you. You may be challenged as you follow Jesus, to give up what you want out of life. You may be challenged, if you follow Jesus, to give up what you want from your day when you wake up in the morning, before you go to bed tonight. You may be challenged to deny something that you love for him. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. He, and it may be stuff that's not even bad. He may say, I want you to choose me over sports. I want you to choose me over making more money. I want you to choose me. Remember Eric Liddell? I want you to choose me over your moment of glory in sprinting. Because even those good things become inferior to the purposes of the kingdom of heaven, to eternity. Jesus, I told you, Jesus does not say fluffy things. Jesus is talking about how believing in him will be divisive, how it will be difficult, how it will separate even families. And he says, Matthew, in Matthew ten thirty-seven, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. And whoever does not take, he says it a second time, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus means choosing him above the things that we love most. I know, right? Yeah, that's, that's the Jesus that we've given our lives to. Good news. For Jesus, self-sacrifice to the point of death on the cross was his road to glory. What was meant to be an instrument of death, And humiliation became the very tool that God used to set him on the throne of heaven, to give him dominion over all creation, to defeat death forever, and to give you and I salvation. That his blood would be laid over those who call on him as their Lord, and that we would receive his holiness and righteousness. I guess the cross does have the final word. And we who take up our cross and follow Jesus can expect the same future. We can expect to follow him into resurrection glory for all of eternity. First Peter, this is Peter talking. The guy that got in trouble with Jesus, this is what he writes. First Peter 4, 12-14, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening. You know, until we as Christians in the United States experience real persecution, a lot of the New Testament isn't going to make much sense to us because we don't really have a lot of fiery ordeals that are taking place in our lives simply because we love Jesus. They were like losing their loved ones. They were getting in prison. Their businesses were taken away. Their children were being killed in front of them because they love Jesus. We, we really don't have a place to park so much of the New Testament scripture. But if we can wrap our minds a little bit around it, let's pick up there. But rejoice in so far, rejoice in so far as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory, which the spirit of God is resting on you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Peter writes and he says, therefore we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed. We are being made again, transformed day by day. For our light, this is what Paul has to say about all this stuff, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That far outweighs them all. As in, no matter what we sacrifice here The end outweighs anything we would have given up. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we have about 6,000-ish years of written human history. Hey, look, I brought my rope back. Does anybody remember the name of the rope? Henry! All right, so for 5,000 extra bonus points, do you remember... Why it's named Henry? That's right, because it's a Longfellow, Henry Longfellow, the poet. Very nice, very nice. So if this rope of 100 feet represented human history as we know it, your life would be one-fifth of an inch on this human history. So let's see if we can find your life. Here we go. You Ready? You're so insignificant. <laughs> oh, did we miss it? Oh, look. There's a nut. Oh, there it is. Here it comes. <laughs> that was your whole life. There you go. Birth. Can y'all see that? Birth. Death, high school, marriage, the drama you're going through right now, there it is right there, and it's gone. It came, it went, history continues to keep moving. Right there, that's it. Your whole life is that little tiny red line. And Jesus is saying, would you be willing, would you be willing, to give your uh, to me. What did you talk about at Elevate tonight? I got to give my art uh, to Jesus. <laughs> That's it. James, James says, what is life? It's like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's us. God is asking you. He's asking you to give him you're one-fifth of an inch for him. Now consider this. Over here we have one inch. That's a whole inch. Yes, well-measured, boys. And we have to, hey, good, it goes all the way off the stage. Now, let's consider this. Matthew seventeen twenty six. the end of this says, what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what will they give in return for their soul? So you have to consider that what is at stake here? So let's, let's say this right here represents your whole life. It became just slightly more meaningful, five times more meaningful. But we're going to look at it in the scope of what if this rope extended out the door, across Houma, off the border of Louisiana, crossing the Mississippi, out into California, and just actually made it just a straight line, line right off the earth. The moon bumps it every night or so. It just keeps going for eternity, Right? And it is, here's your life. Here's here's birth, here's death, and there is the eternity to follow right there. Forever and ever and ever, amen. And Jesus is saying, are you willing are you willing to trade your earth for all of the eternity that I purchased for you with my blood on the cross. That I can spend that he who loves you most will spend eternity with you. You see, Heaven has never been the goal. Heaven has never been the prize. Heaven is the venue for Jesus Christ. When we fall into his arms at the end of our finish line, we have attained the prize. That we get to spend all of eternity with the God who loves us most, worshiping and glorifying him, learning everything there is about him. The angels are so taken by him that they just worship all the time. They can't get over it. Are you willing to trade your inch For all of eternity. I'll leave this up here. But I don't want to trip. What will it profit? If you gain your inch, but you lose eternity. That's worth whatever the sacrifice. My Jesus is worth whatever the sacrifice. Is your Jesus worth it? Recap, Jesus calls each of us to a life-altering decision. Will we place our minds and hearts on God's purposes or our own? To carry our cross and following him is an intentional choice of self-sacrifice. And the three things that we will sacrifice are our public image, our sin, and our life priorities. And the final point is, it is so worth it. Eric Liddell after the Olympics became a missionary to China. And while he was there, World War II began. He was once asked, do you ever regret your decision to leave behind the fame and glory of athletics? He answered, it's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes, but I'm glad I'm at the work I'm engaged in now. A fellow's life counts for far more at this than the other. In fact, he was there in China when Japan invaded and whenever they took over the city that he was in, they placed all the allied peoples into prison camps, and Eric Liddell, Liddell was one of them. There, as a prisoner in China, he ministered, he taught school, and he encouraged the families there. And after the war, they found a journal of a man in the same prison camp as him who wrote about him, and this is what they wrote: what he wrote. Often in an evening, I would see him bent over a chessboard or a model boat are directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary, and interested, pouring all of himself into his effort to capture the imagination of these penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I've ever known. Eric Liddell ran his life with the same passion and tenacity and wild worship that he ran his races. And Jesus is calling us to nothing short of denying ourselves and running a hard race to the point that we fall into his arms, leaving everything else that we thought was important behind. 1 Corinthians 9:24 says, "Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize?" So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, not, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, a little weed crown that they had. But we run for an imperishable one. He chose to give his life in a prison camp because that's where he died. He committed himself to a race that surpassed 100 meter, 400 meter. He ran heavenly towards his reward in Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, through 8, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, And may this be true of every man and woman in this place. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul and Eric followed their Lord's example in self-denial, may we follow in their footsteps. After all, Jesus sacrificed himself, choosing me and you for the gift of eternity for us. So my challenge is for you for this coming week. If you in this place have called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I dare you, I challenge you to pray to the Holy Spirit to give you the supernatural strength To surrender your reputation, your sin, and your priorities. Ask Him to show you the first baby step outside of your comfort zone to begin that self denial for His kingdom. Heavenly Father, you did not come to be neutral, you did not come to be buddies. You came for a dead sinner to give them life. And you are not a God who leaves us the way we are. You love us too much to leave us in our sin, our habits, and our wounds. So you as our potter take us the clay and you begin the painful process of molding and chiseling to make us sanctified more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I speak it in Jesus' name that there are missionaries in this room. There are men and women of God whose calling is about to ring clearly in their minds. And they may not be missionaries in a foreign country. They may be missionaries right here in Homa, Louisiana. They may be missionaries in our city, in our state, in our country, and in the world. Begin to give them vision beyond. Lord, our goal, our journey does not end with self-sacrifice. Our journey is what happens beyond that. Every step of following you, of hearing your voice, of seeing the call that you have on our lives, of experiencing true joy, true love of walking in wisdom, of knowing what love relationships actually are, of knowing your peace and your holiness, of walking in your presence every day, of having that awareness of you, that you go before us, that you are our rear guard and you stand at our right hand. To know you, Lord, is a reward enough. Lord, give your people strength. May we Deny ourselves, reputation, sin, and our priorities so that we can put the kingdom of heaven in front of us and run with everything that we have. In Jesus' holy and precious name, Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students. 7th through 12th grades are welcome.